If you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to 2 Thessalonians today. We're going to finish up this series in the meantime. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. It's uh, been fun to dig into a couple books of Scripture that maybe we don't hear from quite as much. Uh, and so that's been exciting. Just so you know where we're headed, uh, we're jumping into the Christmas season, the Advent season. That's right, thank you. Hopefully some of you got your Christmas decorations up. Has anybody had them up since, you know, like uh, Halloween? Oh, oh, I know who to pray for. That's good. No, but we're jumping into to that season. Today's actually the first Sunday of Advent. And so what we'll do in the next four Sundays, over the course of the next four Sundays, we're going to take uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's that uh, real famous Christmas prophecy. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be uh, upon his shoulders. He shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And over the next four weeks, we'll look at one of those characteristics and how Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled uh, that Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Uh, we'll do one each week. And that will culminate in East, uh, uh, Chris, Easter. Wow. Christmas Eve. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service this year. People ask, like, are we going to have a Christmas Eve service? We are. 9 o'clock a.m., 11 o'clock a.m. We will have two Easter, uh, why do I keep saying Easter today, man? It's going to be one of those days. We will have two Christmas Eve services. Christmas Eve is, in fact, on a Sunday this year. So our regularly scheduled services will be Christmas Eve services. And then at 11 o'clock, the kiddos are going to sing for us. So uh, that'll be fun as well. But we'll get to talk about the Prince of Peace as we jump into that. So hopefully you're looking forward to uh, the Christmas season and all that that means related, especially to to church and, and the things that we do here. But today we're going to finish this series. We're going to finish talking about in the meantime. And behind me you'll see like the, the goal for this series, the reason I wanted to do this series, and, and we spent 12 weeks uh, in First and Second Thessalonians, is very simple. We need to know how to live faithfully for the Lord as we await His return. Are you excited about the return of the Lord? Are you hoping that maybe it comes sooner rather than later? I know I am. But we need to know how to live faithfully for the Lord while we're waiting for Him, right? And the reason that these two letters were written is because there were some people who weren't living very faithfully for the Lord as they were waiting for Him. They were so excited. They were quitting their jobs. They were living off of other people. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. And Paul had to write them a couple letters and say, hey, here's how you live faithfully for the Lord as you await His return. Because here's what I know, and I try to emphasize it over and over again, right? It's like, if we're thinking about the end times the right way, if we're thinking about eschatology, studying the end times, all that stuff, if we're doing that the right way, the more I think about the future, the more it should propel faithfulness right now in the present, right? That's what it should always be about. And we love this study. I'll give you a resource in a minute. We want to study. We want to think about these things and be excited about them. But man, it should always be propelling us toward being faithful and living faithfully right now. So here's where I've gone. Here's the... the the 12 sermons that we've done, including the one that we'll do today. And that's all the sermon titles. And I tried to, to make sure that each of those had something to do with living for the Lord in the meantime. And so whether it was following Jesus or doing ministry, or responding to the gospel, or whether it was having a heart for people, or all of those different things are, are real specific ways that we can live faithfully for the Lord as we await His return. And hopefully you've seen that studying these things can be real practical for our day-to-day -day lives, even right now. And so even as we get into it today, we'll talk about the propensity for some of us to, to want to give up when things get hard. When life and time and the holidays and circumstances get hard and get tough and get tricky, that sometimes we'll want to like 
have the propensity to throw in the towel, right? Some of you will feel like I did yesterday at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Because some of these guys convinced me to go to what they called the turkey bowl. And I believe that it's actually more uh, some sort of sadistic torture than a football game. Flag football game, right? And so we started at, what did we start, 2 o'clock? So about 2.15, I had a pulled hammy, right? My hamstring was already done about 10 minutes into it. And I just wanted to give up. But Joel was there, and he was playing. I can't give up as Joel's there, right? And Mark Clancy was there, and Mark's way older than any of the rest of us. And he's not in this service, so I can say that. Don't tell him I said it, all right? We're going to cut that out of the recording. But man, I realized that my 44-year-old self looks a little bit differently than my 24-year-old self did on a football field. And the propensity for some of us in our spiritual lives is as we're trying to be faithful, as we're trying to live for the Lord, as we're trying to do the things that God has called us to do, like that can get tough, that can get hard. So how do we respond when things get hard? That's where we will go today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now before we dig into the text, I know that for some of you, this end times stuff is something that you like a little bit more reference on, Right? How does the Bible talk about end times and how do we get like a biblical understanding? So I just want to give you one resource. I'll put it on the screen. It's called Basic Bible Prophecy. It's just a a simple book. It's by a guy named Ron Rhodes. And this is a very good like entry level. um, Anybody can read this kind of thing. And it'll talk about how we read prophecy in the Old Testament. How does Old Testament prophecy relate to the New Testament? What about the crazy book of Revelation? How does all that work together? And he does a really good job of covering a lot of material in a way that any of us can understand. This comes out of the uh, specific uh, theological persuasion that our church holds to, that I hold to. Um, And as I've said before, there are a variety of ways that people see the end times. We hold to a specific version, a specific view, and this book comes out of that view. Um, So if you're interested in doing a little more study, write that down. The book's, uh, I think it's about 200 pages. Again, it's not a super hard read. So if you want some more, dig in on that one. Today we will talk about what it looks like to not give up in the meantime. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, says this, Finally, brothers. You remember what it means when a preacher says finally, right? We, we talked about it a few weeks ago. That means not a whole lot of anything. He's got a whole other chapter to go. So in a few minutes when I say, and finally, in conclusion, all right. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Here's the word for some of you this morning. The word from the Lord's words. Don't give up because, verse 3, the Lord is faithful. Verses 1 through 5, that's the big idea. And I'll give you three different things today from this text. But the first thing that I need you to see and that some of you need to hear this morning is that the Lord is, in fact, faithful. Faithfulness means fidelity. We understand what that looks like in a variety of contexts, like, like fidelity and faithfulness. Somebody who is trustworthy, someone who 
makes promises, but then keeps those promises. Someone who loves in spite of, right? The idea of marriage, and when I do wedding ceremonies, I always say, every time I do a wedding ceremony, I always say, this is not a contract, this is a covenant. In a contract, you have two sides that come together, and if either side breaks the contract, then the other side has the right to get out. No, the world sees marriage as a contract, but we understand that marriage is a covenant. And, and that covenant is built out of God's covenant nature, because God is faithful, Throughout the course of history and throughout the course of the Bible, God makes covenants with his people and he always keeps his word. He always keeps his promises. So in verse 3, when he says that the Lord is faithful, that's the reason that we don't give up because God doesn't give up. We used to read this little Jesus storybook Bible with the, with the girls when they were kids and it's, it talked about this as God's, I, I'm trying to recall it from memory, but always never failing, never giving up, always an unending love. That's the covenant love of God for his people, that God is always faithful. And these verses actually give us a few different ways that the Lord is faithful. Look at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored. Interesting Paul is regularly asking people to pray for him. If you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, he was the, probably the greatest missionary who ever lived, and God converted him, changed his life dramatically, and he became the greatest spreader of the gospel that the world has ever seen. But everywhere Paul went, almost everywhere that Paul went, he endured some sort of conflict, some sort of anxiety, some sort of hardship. And he was always asking people to pray for him. And look how he prays, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, may run ahead and be honored. God is faithful through his word. God is always faithful through his word. In the Old Testament, he gave his word to people, and he was faithful through that word. Now in the New Testament, we have the word of God. You want to see the faithfulness of God? Open your Bibles. Read God's word. Some of us struggle with the concept of God being faithful. But we need to look to God's word to show us the faithfulness of God. Interpret our circumstances in light of God's word and see God's faithfulness. In verses 2 and 3, he says this, And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you. He will establish you and guard you. Another translation says that he will strengthen you and he will protect you against the evil one this is so important that the lord is faithful in his protection the lord is faithful in the way that he protects his people now here's where we get a little it gets a little tricky right for many of us we we would ask that the lord would protect us from something typically the way that the lord works is he protects us through things Right? Instead of protecting us from the hardship and from the difficulty and, from, and keeps us from hardship, he protects us through the hardships and through the difficulties. And here's what often happens, is that as a Christian, we say the Lord's faithful and we want to believe in the faithfulness of the Lord, but then something difficult happens and I have to walk through a hardship, a difficulty, a tough time, and suddenly the Lord's not faithful anymore because I have to walk through the hardship. And what we miss is that the Lord is walking with us through that thing. You don't have to answer this, but have you had that? 
where the Lord has walked with you through a difficulty, through a hardship, through the diagnosis, through the death, through the relationship problem and frustration. And God didn't remove you from it, but that God walked with you step by step through it. That's the faithfulness of the Lord. That's the protection of the Lord. Can you imagine if you had to face all of life's circumstances without the Lord? No. And what happens and what we have to be careful of is that we sometimes we can think that God is not being faithful because I'm having to go through a difficulty. We think that, that Christ didn't deliver me from the crisis, and so therefore he's not faithful. But Christ far more often walks through the crisis with us than delivers us from the crisis. God is faithful and that he will establish you and he will guard you. Verses 4 and 5, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That little phrase, direct your hearts, means point it in the right direction, right? Direct your hearts, point it in the right direction, point it where it needs to go, give it some direction. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my heart needs God to give it some direction. You feel like your heart's just kind of floundering around. It's kind of all over the place sometimes. You feel a lack of peace. You feel a lot of anxiety. You feel difficulties and hardships. Tough stuff is happening. Your heart doesn't quite know where to go or where to look. But he says that God gives you direction. Part of God's faithfulness is pointing you in the right direction. And look where he points you. It says, may he direct your hearts to the love of God, to know that whatever it is that you're doing, and wherever it is that you're going, and however it is that you're walking, that God loves you, but also to the steadfastness of Christ. So God's faithfulness is pointing my heart toward Christ's faithfulness. There aren't really many better places to talk about the faithfulness of Jesus than Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read a couple verses for you. Hebrews 12, after chapter 11, where, where the author lays out all of these great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and beyond, he says in Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Does life ever feel like an endurance race to you? He says, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As you're running the race, as you're doing the difficult thing, what do you do? You look to Christ. And then verse 3 says this, and in my Bible, right above verse 3, it says, do not grow weary. Verse 3 says, consider him, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That there is nothing that I could endure that Christ doesn't know about. That there's nothing that I can go through that Christ hasn't experienced. Hebrews 4 talks about us having a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in every way, because he became truly man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas in the first advent. That's what we celebrate in communion. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ so that he could, and part of the reason, so that he could sympathize with the things that we are going through. 
God is faithful and he can direct your gaze to where it needs to go. For some of us, that's our word this morning. You just need to hear that God is faithful. I read this this week. 16 times in the Bible it says, I am with you about God. 12 times I will not leave you. 8 times I will not forsake you. 16 times I'm with you. 12 times I will not leave you. 8 times I will not forsake you. And the question then is, why are we so worried? Right? The Bible over and over and over again says those kind of things. And why are we so worried? Why do we get so weary? Why do we want to give up? We live in a tough place, a tough time, but God is a good God. So what I want to do right now for just a few minutes is I just want to inundate you with God's faithfulness. Is that okay? Can I just like fire hose you for a minute with some of God's faithfulness? I got a bunch of passages from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament because I just want you to see that scripture says that God is faithful. I want you to take my word for it. I want you to see what God's word has to say. Deuteronomy 32.4, God is our rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. You know anybody else who's without iniquity? I know a guy, no sin. No, right? One, God, faithful. Psalm 33, 4, the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. All of it, everything he does, done in faithfulness. Psalm 36, 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. That's higher than the highest height. And it doesn't mean, by the way, if you get it over the clouds into the atmosphere, then it's gone, right? He's drawing a word picture here. Psalm 105, the Lord is good, his steadfast love. And you'll notice that that hesed, uh, steadfast love, the Hebrew idea of this covenant faithfulness of God occurs over and over in these along with his faithfulness. The steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Not only is he faithful higher than the clouds, he's faithful to all generations, 117.2, great is his steadfast love toward us. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever, praise the Lord. Psalm 145.13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. Lamentations 3.22-23, see if you can start to hum it while I read it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You all know the song? Some of you know it? Don't sing it. You want me to sing it? No? Okay, I didn't think so, right? But here's what's crazy. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, right? Some of you are by nature just sad people. That's your book. Lamentations means to lament. It just means to be sad all the time, right? It was written by a guy named Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah's nickname was? a weeping prophet. You're like, really? That was that guy? Yes, for sure. There was a guy in the Bible whose life was so bad that they called him the weeping prophet, and he wrote a a book of the Bible called Crying All the Time. Yeah. But here's what's crazy about that. Right in the middle of that book, what's he say? The steadfast love, the hesed, the, the covenant faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. He renews them every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
And here's why we need to know that. Because there's going to be days of lamentations. There's going to be days in your life and weeks in your life and months in your life where you're like, I got one book of the Bible and it's lamentations. And I'm doing my devotions and lamentations every day. I might throw in a couple imprecatory psalms as well. Those are the ones where they say really bad things about people you don't like. They're in there. It's crazy, right? But there are going to be seasons and times when you just, that's where you live. And that's okay. But in the midst of those times, God is faithful. In the midst of the hardship. I don't know what you're all going through at Christmas. I know there are 300 odd people who, not 300 odd people, There are 300 plus people who come to church here. And that's a lot of stories at Christmas. That's a lot of families at Christmas. That's a lot of dysfunction at Christmas. And I realize that it can be difficult. But I want you to understand in the midst of all of it that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's only the Old Testament. Shall we? New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, you guys. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your temptations, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the I want to give up, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Now, it's your job to take the way, but he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's faithful in the midst of our lives and our problems. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. That God that we read about in, in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, the steadfast love, the covenant faithfulness, is the same God in the New Testament who is faithful. And then we can hold on to the confession of our faith without having to waver Not because we're strong enough, not because we're powerful or good enough, but because God is faithful. He who promised delivers. You ever have somebody make a big promise and not deliver? That's not God. God has never made a promise that he didn't deliver on. He's faithful. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're not a Christian today, this is your verse. That God is faithful and God is just. In his justice, he has to condemn sin and he has to punish sin. But in his faithfulness, he provided Jesus Christ, his son, to die in our place for our sins. We've talked about that today in celebrated communion. That if you confess your sins, you say, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner and I believe that Christ died for my sins, then you can become a Christian today and start to walk in the faithfulness of God. One more verse, and this one's really exciting. We read Revelation 19 last week. Remember that, all that stuff about rider on the white horse, the sword coming out of his mouth and all that stuff? There's something about God's faithfulness right there. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, one sitting on it is called what? Faithful and true. Because the ultimate fulfillment of the faithfulness of God will be in the second coming of Christ. And he's called faithful for a reason, that from the beginning of human history to its culmination, there will be a day when Christ shows himself fully, ultimately faithful. We look forward to that day, but I want you to see God's faithfulness throughout the course of history, God's faithfulness even as we look forward to his second coming. So maybe that's your word 
for today. And you just need to hear somebody say over and over that God is faithful. And I'll proclaim to you this morning, don't give up because God is faithful. Verses 6 through 15 help us to understand one of the reasons that we need to see God's faithfulness. And this thing's going to take a weird turn in a different direction than maybe you would expect. We need 1 through 5 to tell us that God is faithful because 6 through 15 is going to tell us that people can be fickle. You believe that? You been out Christmas shopping yet? Oh, right, yeah, right? People can be problematic. Now, not people here at our church, of course, but other people can be problematic. Verses 16 through, 6 through 15 are going to tell us about some problem people, some people who are kind of fickle. Let's read about it, and you'll see what I mean. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother, brother or sister, that's another Christian, any who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we're not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Wait, the Bible says that? Yeah, it does. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So I want to unpack this for us because I think it's important and I think that it's very timely. In your life and in the church, there are a couple, kind of, a couple of different kinds of people that are delineated in this text. You may have heard this language before. It's not brand new language. But in the church, there exists people who are spiritual drains, and there are people who are spiritual fills. Let me un- help, help you understand what I mean by that. Spiritual drains and, people, and spiritual fills. You know those people that just drain you, like in your life, right? Like you see the phone call coming, and you're like, I can't. I just can't right now, right? People who just drain you in life. And then there's people in life who just fill you up. You're like, man, I can't wait till the next time I get to have lunch with that person. Because every time I walk away, I just feel like invigorated and feel better. Those kinds of people exist in the church, right? There are people in the church who are spiritual drains. And there are people in the church, I'm using church like big C church, right? Like the church. Not Puyallup Community Baptist, not us. But just in general in the church. There are drains and there are people who are spiritual fills. And, and I'll, I'll show you them from the text, but just a couple of things to help us think about this. That some of those people that are, are, are contributors, and some of them are consumers, right? That somebody who's a spiritual fill is, is contributing, is always helping, is always part of the solution. You have people who are part of the solution, people who are part of the problem. You have people who are helpers, and people who are hinderers. You have people who are problems, and then you have people who bring solutions, 
And it's important that we delineate and see that even in the Bible, he doesn't use that exact terminology, but there are those kind of people. When he talks about people who are spiritually idle, he's going to talk about people who are spiritual drains. And I want you to think about people who drain the church, right? People who are always consuming and never contributing. People who are always bringing problems and frustrations and angst and never bringing solutions, And he says a few things about him. In verse 6, he says this, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accordance with the tradition that you receive from us. So I'll explain that a little bit. In that day, they didn't have a whole lot of the New Testament. This is one of the first New Testament books that was written. So they didn't have a lot of the New Testament written down. But what they did have is apostolic tradition. They had Old Testament scriptures that they would draw from. They had apostles like Paul and the other apostles who would preach and who would teach. They had what was called the Jesus tradition. So so the Gospels hadn't been written yet, but the things that Jesus had said and taught were well known to people. And so they took those around. And when the, the men of God spoke, they spoke with God's authority. And that was the tradition. That was what they were held to. When false teachers came in and spoke things that didn't adhere to that tradition, it was known as false teaching. So what Paul is saying is that there are people in that church at that time who had heard the truth, who had heard right teaching, had had it placed in front of them, and instead of adhering to that and living by that, that they were walking in idleness. One of the ways that they were walking in idleness, as we know, he says, if a man is not willing to work, not, not willing, right? Not, that doesn't just mean they don't have a job. It means they're not willing to work. Then let him not eat. And most commentators believe that what was happening is because they were excited about the second coming, many of them had just quit their jobs and were like, God's going to show up soon anyway, so let's just like party and, and wait, and, and then when he shows up, we're going to be all good to go. Why waste time working? But they were living off the social system that the church had at that time. So they were being consumers, and they weren't contributing in any way. So they were lazy, and they were unproductive. They were spiritually lazy, and they were spiritually unproductive. Idleness can mean laziness, but it more often means spiritual laziness and spiritually unproductive than anything else. When he says that they are walking in idleness... It means that they were rebellious, that they were unruly, that they were disorderly, that they were undisciplined. And there can be spiritually undisciplined people in church who constantly cause problems rather than being part of the growth and the health and the vibrancy of the church. I've said this multiple times during this series. I love our church. I love being one of the pastors here at the church. I love being able to open God's word and and teach it on a weekly basis for you. And I think we've got a pretty healthy church. And usually even the way that we handle problems here shows that we are a healthy church. But what I know from this text is that if we're not careful, that can happen. And if we're not careful, we can become those people. And I do want to clarify, okay? He's talking again who people people who are not busy with the Lord's work. They're not interested in spiritual growth. They are at church, but they're not interested in their own growth or the growth of the church. They're only causing problems. They're only causing difficulties. They're only consuming things. What I'm not talking about here, please hear me clearly on this. 
What I'm not talking about here is I'm not talking about people who have spiritual needs, right? I'm not talking about, hey, somebody's got a spiritual need, somebody needs some spiritual counsel, somebody needs some help. That's perfectly fine and helpful and, and, and expected and acceptable here, right? We're not talking about those people. We're not talking even about people who just need a season to be here and, and need a season to just rest. Maybe you came out of a difficult situation and you just need a season to rest. We're not talking about that either. What we're talking about is people who, again, don't want to grow, don't want to learn, don't want to help, just always draining. We're not even talking about people that I tend to not get along with, right? You ever heard of sandpaper people? You ever heard of that term, right? Everybody's got their sandpaper people. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm looking at one. <laughs> Thanks, right? Yeah, there are sandpaper people, and God puts them in our lives for good reasons. Sandpaper is really important in some work, in some jobs, so I've been told, Right? Yeah, we're not talking about that. Again, we're talking about people who want to be disruptive, people who want to cause problems, who are always draining. Those people exist. On the other side of the coin, though, you have spiritual fills. Verses 7 through 9, he talks about what those people look like. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. In other places, Paul says that the laborer is worthy of his wages, and Paul's saying they had the right to, to take from those people there, but they wanted to set them an example. So Paul actually went out and got a job and worked hard so that he could be an example. And he was an encouragement to those people. First Thessalonians actually helps us get at it even a little bit better. I preached, again, we preached on this a few weeks ago, but First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and following. See if you think this might be a spiritual fill in your life if you had this person. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, how our labor and toil, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You think that would be a, a spiritual fill in your life? Somebody who encourages you spiritually. Somebody who helps you grow spiritually. Somebody who comes alongside you when you're having a difficulty. Someone who's an example to you. You see, church, we all have drains and we all have fills. And so a couple questions. Number one, who are your drains and who are your fills? Verse 13 says it like this. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Some of you are weary because you have so many drains in your life. You have so many people who are just taking and taking and taking and taking. Some of our job as Christians is to learn how to maximize the fills and minimize the drains in our lives. Maybe you're thinking, well, 
what if I'm married to my drain? <laughs> That's a problem, right? And we laugh nervously a little bit, but we realize like that can be that can be the case. And that's where like Christian counseling and talking to a pastor, we, Lauren and Sue do a great job, Pastor Lauren and his wife Sue do a great job in, in meeting with couples and counseling and helping people think through and talk through and work through some of these things, because that can be the case. But generally speaking, and I said this in the first service, like, I'm serious about this, okay? Like I want to spend my time shepherding people who want to grow, I will not spend all of my time with spiritual drains, okay? And, and I said this first service, laugh. Fortunately, as I'm studying this, nobody's picture came to mind as I was thinking about spiritual drains. And I was like, oh yeah, that person, write their name down. No, again, I love where we're at. People need help, we want to help. But there are times when we have to say, you know what, I've tried and I've worked and I've witnessed and I've done everything that I can and this person takes, 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 takes and there's no give, 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 give. And at some point, here's what the text says. Not not my words, but here's what the text says. In a a couple different places. Verse 6, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Yes, there's a way. There's a biblical way to handle the drains. There's a biblical way to handle those people. But sometimes we got to figure out how to minimize the drains and maximize the fills in our lives. Or we are going to get weary, or we are going to burn out, and we are just going to want to give up. So I put that in front of you. You have to decide, who are my drains, who are my fills, what does God want me to do about it? But I put that in front of you as an encouragement, again, that you would not give up in the meantime. Verses 16 through 18 continues in this way. He's already told us that the Lord is faithful we've seen that like people can be fickle verses 16 through 18 will show us that peace is possible peace is possible now may the lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the lord be with you all i paul write this greeting with my own hand this is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine it is the way i write The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Just real quick, as a side note, verse 17, I told you last week that one of the things that that they believed that 2 Thessalonians was written because somebody actually forged a letter in Paul's name and sent it and said it was from Paul, but it had some bad theology in it. And so Paul, when he writes, he writes and he takes the pen himself. So so one of the things that they would do in that day is they would have an amanuensis, a, a scribe, and that person would write the letter for whoever was dictating it to him, Paul or John or Peter, whoever was writing. And so at the end of the letter, they would take it. In one place, Paul says, you see how big I write with my own hands. He had like his own style, his own signature. And if you were holding the actual paper copy of that letter, you could see what it looked like, and they would know that that was who actually wrote the letter. And so Paul is verifying there himself and verifying like this is mine, this is truth, and this is something for you to listen to and abide by as well. I'm going to draw your attention to verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. 
ask you this question. What would it take for your life to have peace at all times in every way? What would that take? Is that even possible? You're like, uh, let's talk about the spouse that we were just talking about the last verse, right? What would that look like? Is, is that something that's even possible? I mean, this is interesting that this comes up because it's the Christmas season, which is the season of perpetual hope, and it's the season of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Again, have you been shopping so far? Now, this, this illustration just came to my mind at the first service, and now I'm going to owe Joel 10 bucks. Joel wasn't here in the first service. He is here today, and I told the first service that Joel Flores did one of the craziest things that I've ever heard anyone do. On Black Friday, he drove to the Seattle Premium Outlets with his family and went shopping. Joel told me yesterday that it took him an hour to get to Seattle. It then took him an hour to get into the parking lot. That's crazy. He said that there were people standing in stall, parking stalls waiting for somebody to you know, come over and get the, the car into the stall, and then other people trying to run them over. The season of peace, the season of happiness. Someone was shot, a child was shot, I'm not making this up, at the South Center Mall yesterday over a parking place. We're shooting kids over parking places. Peace on earth, goodwill to our men. Not only that, but some of you tried to put up Christmas lights this weekend. Peace on earth, goodwill to our men. Was it peaceful thoughts that were going through your mind? It wasn't in my mind on Black Friday, I guarantee you, right? I was like, I can't say that word, I'm a pastor. It's tough. When we talk about peace and when we think about peace, this is a tough one. And when we read something like this verse, it says you may have peace at all times in every way. I don't know about you, but I'm looking at the Apostle Paul like, you must be crazy, man. I know he lived in the first century, not the 21st century. I know he lived, you know, in, in the Mediterranean and not in crazy liberal western Washington. So maybe he was mistaken, right? Maybe they could have peace at all times in every way, but we can't have peace at all times in every way. No, this is the, God's word to his people. Peace is possible. But here's a problem. I define peace as like my Christmas lights just put themselves up. Oh, peaceful. I go inside and get a cup of hot cocoa. Traditional Christmas music is playing, not this Celine Dion stuff. No, like traditional Christmas music. That's peaceful, right? I go to the mall. No one else is there on Christmas. Peace, right? We define peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of war, the absence of strife, the absence of bills, the absence of health problems, the absence of you name it. But in the scriptures, peace is something completely different. And this is where we get mixed up, is that our culture tells us that peace means the absence of things. So you buy your way into peace. You buy your way out of conflict. You perform your way into peace. You smoke or drink or inject yourself into a state of peace, right? But what Scripture calls peace, all the way through Scripture, peace is the idea of wholeness, of that which is broken, made whole. In some ways, the story, the restoration story of the Bible is a story of Jesus bringing peace. We'll talk about that on Christmas Eve when we talk about the Prince of Peace. That peace is possible, not by the absence and getting rid of all the strife and quarrel and, and all of that. But here's what's the good news. For the Christian, peace is possible in the midst of all that. Peace is possible 
my, I can have peace in my mind. I can have peace in my heart and peace in my life. And I can actually have peace at all times in every way because my perspective gets changed. Instead of just thinking that I need things to go better and I need to feel better and I need all the conflict to be gone, I began to realize and understand what the book of Romans says. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You get that peace dialed in, and then that can start to affect and infect the peace that you can have in all these other places. Laugh and joke around, but you know what? Sometimes like the, the, the anxiety and the turmoil that's inside of me is just the stuff that spills out in the parking lot at the mall, right? It doesn't just come out because the other guy got the parking space. It comes out because it's in there. And I got this internal anxiety and this internal, internal turmoil that's going on in my heart and going on in my life, and then it just comes out. Peace is possible when we start to understand that the God of peace, the Lord of peace, is with us. Look at verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace give you peace. I think for some of us, we're missing peace because we're looking in all the wrong places. It doesn't say your bank account gives you peace. It doesn't say that your spouse, your kids give you peace, your grandkids give you peace. It doesn't say that what's parked in your driveway, your job that you go to every day, this is to say that those things give you peace. It says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The Lord's peace comes from the Lord. The Lord's peace comes from the Lord's presence. At the very end, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Sometimes the peace of the Lord comes through the grace of the Lord. Jesus said it this way in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Notice the next line. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Different warring definitions of peace out there. If I pursue peace in the way that the world says I get peace, I will never have peace. I will always be striving. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What many of us need to do this holiday season is to turn our hearts to or back to the Lord who brings peace. You want to not give up in the meantime? Know that the Lord is faithful. Know that, yes, people are going to cause problems. But at the end of the day, the Lord will give you peace. Turn to Him for your peace. Today, as I said, starts Advent season, right? It's when we celebrate the first coming of Christ at Christmas we anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of that, he's called us to be faithful in the meantime. 